Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're continuing our Top 10 Prospects podcast series today with Mike Giovanna of the Los Angeles Times. Mike has covered the Angels for a number of years, longtime contributor to BA, has done the Angels Top 30 Prospects for us for a couple of years now. He continued here this season. Mike, the Angels are in a bit of a transitional period to say the least. General Manager Billy Epler was let go at the end of the season. Perry Madassian was hired from the Braves to be the new GM. The Angels keep trying to get to the playoffs while they have the best player in baseball in his prime, but they consistently fall short. And this past season was particularly disappointing, falling short in a year the postseason was expanded to eight teams. Now there's a new front office regime. When you look at where this team is in the major leagues right now, with what they have in the farm system, how close are they to returning to the playoffs for the first time since 2014? Uh, you know, a lot of that's going to hinge on how many teams make the playoffs, uh, but I think you nailed it. Mike Trout really kind of fueled their philosophy uh, over these last few years, and it seems like they've gotten into this rut slash sort of never-ending loop of, as you say, trying to win now because they have the best player in baseball and spending money while not really developing a really strong farm system. Uh, so... Yeah, they're kind of in, uh, they're not good enough to really challenge for a World Series championship because they still don't have the pitching depth or really, in my mind, a number one, uh, maybe even a number two starter. And their position players, while you look at their lineup, would seemingly have a lot more potential than they showed last year. It's still not the, you know, even close to being the best lineup in Southern California, let alone the major leagues. So They've been really hesitant to trade some of their top prospects and quote unquote really go for it because their system isn't that deep. And really when you look at it, they don't have that many top prospects to trade. So uh, I'm not sure they could have pulled off uh, the kind of deal for, you know, Blake Snell and, and that type of pitcher uh, this past winter. So uh, and now they have a new GM. So another change uh, in organizational philosophy. So, until uh, until I think they sort of decide what direction they want to go to, and they might be stuck in this uh, loop for another couple of years. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, one of the hallmarks of the Angels in recent years has just been very, very poor starting pitching, a lot of bullpen collapses as well last year, but also a lineup that has been a lack of depth on the position player side. There are a lot of holes to be filled. I think one thing that was particularly encouraging was we've seen some homegrown guys come up and be solid contributors, David Fletcher being one of them, Jared Walsh being another. So for a long time, we looked at this Angels team and said, hey, if you want to map out the next four years, you have Mike Trout, you have a couple guys you can fit into a couple spots, but there were big holes in the major league lineup. And I will say when guys like David Fletcher and Jared Walsh, Fletcher has become one of the most productive middle infielders in the American League, 
Jared Walsh, while obviously it was a small sample, really, really did some good things last year in his second stint in the major. So they have had some homegrown guys come up and make an impact. You add that to Trout, Rendon. There's something to work with there. A big part of this is Shohei Otani is going to have to stay healthy on the mound. But there are still a lot of holes that need to be filled. And you mentioned the farm system might not have them. And salary commitment-wise, they're kind of tied up, although Albert Pujols' contract will finally be coming off the books after 2021. Justin Upton's contract is nearing the end. So they do have some money being freed up, which could help them. Yeah, I don't uh, understand why they haven't cut ties with Albert Pujols. And, and I say that with all due respect. First ballot Hall of Famer, great, great player. Uh, but that contract, and, and yeah, you add just up, Justin Upton to that mix. These are two guys who are just not very productive. And uh, in my mind, they probably would have been better off just cutting ties with both of them this winter and, you know, either take, you know, giving Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh those corner outfield spots with Trout or maybe he look into the free agent market for something a little, you know, more productive. But, yeah, financially, the, those two deals are really weighing them down. And, you know, Trout, of course, has not uh, come cheap either. So, uh, to me, uh, you either need to have Artie Marino be willing to, you know, completely possibly blow past that uh, luxury tax payroll threshold, uh, or you mean need to make better decisions. You know, you look at some of these teams, especially the Dodgers, They've signed some really guys you consider undervalued or maybe underperforming, uh, and they excel. Uh, you know, part of that's development, part of that's coaching, uh, a lot of that's scouting and identifying guys who are on the on the. You know, look at Brandon Moore in 2017 for the Dodgers, last year. Guys like that, they need to do a better job system wide of drafting and developing and identifying. You know, some guys with higher ceilings. And I don't know, you know, I asked Perry Manasian this when he, when they, when they hired him, and, you know, what his uh, philosophy is going to be in terms of maybe targeting uh, some higher risk, higher ceiling type prospects, but uh, they are taking more chances in some spots, but I'd like to see him, you know, go after some more high ceiling pitchers, uh, starting pitchers. To me, that's, you look at Walker Bueller. The guy's a stud. He's going to be an ace of that rotation for, uh, who knows, another five, seven years. So at some point, you need to draft and develop guys like that. And they have picked high enough to get those guys. If you're not going to go sign Garrett Cole or Trevor Bauer in free agency, you need to develop these kinds of pitchers. Uh, or if you're not willing to give up some high-end prospects to uh, acquire guys like Blake Snell, you know, there has to be some kind of movement somewhere where you acquire, you know, number one and number two type starting pitchers. And you can even add, you know, a number one or two back end reliever to that mix too, in my mind, because really struggle to, to, to develop and, and sign, you know, shut down relievers. So I think you see, you know, the teams that are winning, the, the formula that's working, and uh, they have some of it down. You know, they're slugging great. They're getting on base. They're making a lot of contact offensively. But uh, run prevention, uh, pitching is the biggest part of that, obviously, and that's where they need to improve. So let's take a dive into this farm system to see what they do have and what they still need to go get. You mentioned Blake Snell. I mean, just doing the Padres system, knowing the Angels very well. 
they don't have the type of prospects to match a package like that. They, they could not have matched what the Potters offered. Getting, as you mentioned, more guys into the system where they could potentially make an offer to match that for number one it would be an option as well. But I do want to dive into this farm system. There are some very talented players here to work with. It's not an empty farm system. It's not a farm system lacking upside. There are players you could absolutely build with potentially. And I want to start with Joe Adele. Uh, for those curious, Joe Adele still qualifies as a prospect for us at BA. He has less than 130 at-bats, and that's the threshold. Uh, BA has never taken service time into account. Mike, there's no sugarcoating it. Joe Adele's debut was very, very, very rough. It was very clear he wasn't ready. I remember doing the Angels midseason update for us at BA, and I remember talking to some officials in summer camp, and they were even saying – He's not ready. Dealing with major league caliber secondary pitches is something that we still need to see him work on. So they kept him down, but then they brought him up in part due to some injuries and need in the outfield. I feel like it's hard to crush a guy for struggling that bad when, again, he's just not ready for the major leagues. We saw a lot of very talented players come up when they weren't ready and struggle. Joe Adele, Joey Bart, Casey Mize, Luis Patino. All these guys are tremendously talented. I think it's just hard to bang them when they weren't ready and it's the most unconventional season of their lifetimes and a very very difficult adjustment to make given all that what was the feedback you're receiving on joe adele in terms of is his ceiling still intact his potential and how do you kind of contextualize his struggles you know mike trout really struggled in his first two months granted he was 19 and uh, maybe not ready as well but he was uh you know he low 200s and did not impress that many in his uh first stint uh, 2011. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, with Joe, um, one of the things that I wasn't surprised that he struggled. A lot of guys do. Uh, he barely touched AAA. He probably wasn't ready for big league pitching. Um, the thing that really surprised me about him is I had heard so much about his athleticism, and uh, I think his tools were um, evident to me, but there seemed to be a more of a mechanical uh, uh, look to him in the outfield, especially. He did not look comfortable. He did not look confident. I don't know. It's hard to tell how much of that was his offensive struggle sort of carrying over to defense. Uh, some of that, like the play in Texas where he basically gloved a, a fly ball over the wall for a home run was unfamiliarity with, with the <laughs> ballparks. I mean, there's so many different stadiums and ballpark configurations in the big leagues uh, in the outfield. That was new. That was difficult. The lighting, the roofs, the indoor, you know, the retractable roofs, the sun fields. There's so much to, of a learning curve. That being said, I did see in the last three weeks uh, uh, several reasons for encouragement. One, he started to gain a lot more comfort in the outfield. He started taking more confident and better routes. He made a couple of plays at the wall. I think he rubbed a home run once. His arm is great. And, you know, that's not going to – that's always going to play. But he started going to the gaps with more confidence. Uh, started coming in on the ball with more comfort and confidence. So that's really encouraging. I think from an offensive standpoint, you know, he's a big, strapping young man. He's got a – swing that probably uh, got a little long at times. But, um, he's still really talented. The tools are still there. You know, the speed, the power. I mean, we saw the power play a couple of nights. Uh, it was just really impressive. The exit velocities he's generating 
I just think it's way too early to give up on this kid. Um, you know, he may not be the next Mike Trout, but that's okay. You know, he could be maybe the next Justin Upton in his prime or whoever it is, you know, a uh, solid major league, you know, potential all-star caliber outfielder. I still think he has that kind of upside. Yeah, and again, it's something where there's a long, long history of guys coming up and struggling their first month, month and a half. I mean, realistically, we're talking about 38 games in a normal season. That's less than a quarter of the season. So as you mentioned with guys like Mike Trout, Aaron Judge, those are guys who struggle in a normal environment where they're coming up, they're fresh off of playing at AAA, they're in a routine, they have fans in the stands, everything is normal. You don't have this added stress. You take all that away add the testing, add the stress of COVID. A lot of really good players, both veteran and rookie, struggled this year. So I think just in speaking with evaluators, you know, you watched a lot of him. I watched a lot of him. There's no question. It was rough. But this is where you trust the ability, you trust the athleticism, and you trust the makeup. Again, Joe Adele has long been lauded as one of the smartest, hardest-working players there are in the minor leagues. And this is where that's a separator. Uh, I know I will be very interested to see what adjustments he makes. And we did see him make some adjustments to his swing later in the year. We started to see some, some better swings, getting the ball in the air more. You mentioned he was less mechanical in right field over uh, the final month or so. So we did see some improvements, and I will be really interested to see what carries over. Yeah, and that's, uh, you can say that of a lot of guys. Most guys struggle a little bit when they're bumped to the next level, and then they sort of get the feel for it. And uh, like we said, he didn't have much time at AAA uh, the previous year. And, you know, Joe Madden's already said this winter that he needs more time in the minor leagues. And I would not be surprised to see him start off the year, assuming we have a normal, you know, quote-unquote normal season in the minor leagues, to see him start at AAA. You know, if he tears it up for three weeks, and he's earned the promotion. He'll be right up, uh, right back up in Anaheim, and hopefully with more confidence and more more uh, comfort. And you know, I, I do think there's no uh, there's no doubt in my mind that no matter how much he struggled last year, he will be better for that experience. Uh, whether it's a chip on the shoulder, proving whoever wrong, <laughs> the quote unquote doubters, you know, you hear that all the time. But these guys get motivated by that stuff. I don't think anybody's written Joe Adele off, but you know, I'm sure in his mind, he maybe there, maybe he's convinced somebody, some people have. So that'll be a motivator, and just you know, being uh, a really solid, you know, really good major league player is going to motivate him, and his work ethic, all, all those other intangibles are there. So uh, I, I have faith and confidence that he's going to be a really good player. Just based on your discussions with evaluators, both inside and outside the Angels system. Was there any debate for anyone else at number one, or was it still Joe Adele very, very clearly? Not really. You know, I was a little surprised by that, but I think, once again, just because a guy struggled doesn't diminish his tool set, and I think that's still there. You know, we could have moved Brandon Marsh up to number one, but he has not been exposed to the major leagues like Joe Adele was. Who's to say he wouldn't struggle the same way? Uh, maybe Chris Rodriguez, he seemed to take a – his health seemed to vault him, uh, uh, at least from a pitching standpoint, in the organization. You know, he, he looks like he's on a much better trajectory right now. Maybe he could have been number one, but to me, Joe is still, uh, tools-wise, still the guy uh, at the top of the organization. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Adele, number one, Marsh, number two. Again, Brandon Marsh is a top 50 prospect in baseball, uh, continues to be just a really, really impressive athlete. The bat continues to trend in the right direction, really starting with his second half at AA last year. I want to hit on Chris Rodriguez. He is now the top-ranked pitching prospect in the Angels organization. I know a couple people were wondering about him being above Reed Detmers, who was the 10th overall pick in the draft this year. You just mentioned Rodriguez. There was even a debate for him potentially you know, being number one. Obviously, it wasn't a strong potential, but the fact that you mentioned him even in the same breath as Adele and Marsh, I think would probably surprise some people. What did he show this year to cement himself? I think I put him over Detmers based purely on potential, not, you know, Detmers is going to get to the big leagues quicker. He, there's a very good chance he'll be there this season. Uh, he's going to probably establish himself uh, in, in the Angels rotation uh, before Rodriguez. But uh, for me, from everything I heard from guys I talked to uh, and seen him, he took his turn every five to whatever, whenever he was scheduled to pitch, at the alternate site and instructs, he took his turn. He was healthy. You know, the guy's uh, 94 to 98 with his fastball, and, and he's got four pitches, uh, including a slider, which is really good, four potentially, you know, average to plus major league pitchers. So that, to me, uh, is another reason I, I ranked him a little ahead of Detmers. Uh, so I just think with him, it's going to be health. Uh, you know, once – he puts together a healthy, full season. I think he can really sort of project uh, his uh, his arc. Um, to me, you know, he, he should easily hit double A this year and maybe even triple A. Uh, but the stuff, uh, the four-pitch mix, that's real enticing. Uh, the velocity's there. The, the sliders uh, really wipe out. So, you know, he might... I don't know if he'll be a major league ace, but he could be like, you know, at least a number two, really high end number three guy. So uh, he's one, his health, I think, is what really has vaulted him uh, this past year because he had those back problems and he really, he hardly pitched for a solid two years. So uh, that's uh, one encouraging thing for sure uh, in the pitching department. Yeah, Rodriguez has pitched only 77 and two-thirds innings in four seasons. Uh, he missed all of 2018 with a stress reaction to his lower back. Made only three starts in 2019 before having season-ending back surgery. Uh, but I saw one of those starts he made in 2019 before the back surgery, and it was it was impressive. Uh, you mentioned the hard fastball, but what was really notable to me was, yes, he threw mid-90s, but he was commanding three secondary pitches, and you do not see that very often in the high A. You don't see that very often from high schoolers, especially in the class A levels. So seeing mid-90s with command of three secondaries, my eyebrows were certainly raised. Uh, but then, of course, he had the back surgery. One of the things I thought was interesting, you noted, was he got up to 65, 70 innings between the alternate training site and instructional league. It feels like if he can take that jump to 100 innings next year and build on that and start consistently turning in 100, 120 innings, from a pure stuff perspective, this is a top 100 prospect. But ultimately what the top 100 tries to do is here are the 100 players in the minor leagues right now who will have the best major league careers. And it's hard to say that he will have a major league career better than some of these other guys if he can't stay on the mound. So it feels like that's the final piece, staying on the mound. And if he shows he can do that, there's potentially something special here. 
Yeah, durability, uh, as we know, for a starting pitcher is huge. And that's the other thing with Rodriguez. As much as you need this guy in the next year or two in your big league rotation, you also don't want to rush him knowing his track record with the back injuries. So, yeah, they need to get him up around 100, 110 innings this year. Maybe, you know, most organizations seem like they don't like to jump more than 25, 30 innings a year. Uh, you know, get him up to 130, 140 the following year, and he should be ready uh, in 2022 to, at least by midseason, to, to be in the Angels' rotation uh, based on his stuff. And as we've seen also, you know, how many guys even throw – very few guys start to 100 innings any, any, anymore, which used to be a benchmark for a starting pitcher. Not many guys even throw 180. But I think if you can prove you can get up around 140, 150 uh, on, a, on an annual basis, uh, you're going to have a pretty good chance to succeed in the big league. So the, the standards have changed. Uh, you know, bullpens are a lot more prominent. Relief pitching, much bigger factor than it was back in, uh, back in my day. Uh, but his stuff is going to – his stuff and durability. If you can combine those two, he's, he's going to be a solid guy for them. Yeah, I thought one of the funny notes I got during uh, my reporting for the midseason update was I spoke to an Angels uh, front office official just about Rodriguez. And I was at the summer camp game where Rodriguez started and was facing uh, some of the Angels' top prospects, but also <laughs> Andrelton Simmons was in the lineup just trying to get some more at-bats. And apparently after that summer camp game, Andrelton Simmons – was like, who is this kid and why is he not in our rotation right now? <laughs> the hitters will tell you what they really think, what the pitcher really has. So exactly. hearing a, a big leaguer of Simmons caliber say that, it lets you know what kind of stuff this kid has. All right, Mike, I want to dive into this farm system a little deeper, but first a quick word from our sponsors. And we're back with Mike Giovanna, the Los Angeles Times, breaking down the Angels system. Pretty clear, one through four. Uh, again, Adele and Marsh are top 100 prospects. Rodriguez and Detmers are in the conversation. Again, I think a big part of it is Rodriguez going out this year and showing he can stay healthy. Once he does, it wouldn't be a surprise to see him on there at any point. After this group, you get into Jordan Adams, Jeremiah Jackson, you know, two younger, very athletic players who have a lot of potential, but both of them have some questions about how much impact there will be in the bat. Jack Kokanowitz was really uh, one of the more interesting risers this year at Instructional League. Take us through this next year, how it all shook out, and ultimately how you lined it up as you did. Yeah, it's an interesting grouping. I think you have uh, three or four guys who you would consider extremely high-risk, high-ceiling, uh, uh, you know, prospects, really young, loaded with tools, and then you have uh, – uh, Jemiah Jones uh, in there, and honestly, I didn't want to have Jemiah in my top ten, and uh, I was convinced to put him in there because they sort of uh, view him a differently now. They're viewing him more as a utility player, and he's while he is probably not good, he, he's certainly not good enough to be a starter in any position in the big leagues. He's become very proficient at moving around the diamond. You know, he, he's comfortable at second base. He, he played some third base at the big leagues last year. He can play into the outfield spots. His bat's still playing uh, as they expected. So he, the only reason he's up there is because of, uh, you know, his super utility status now. And, and there's value in that. Uh, Jordan Adams was a guy who 
you know, if you listen to the guys, I, I think Brandon Marsh, we talked to him uh, in September, and he said the guy who most impressed him at the alternate training site was Jordan Adams. Like, this guy's a stud, and this is a guy who might come for his uh, job, you know, in another year or two. Uh, just a ton of speed, great, you know, much improved in the outfield. He sort of uh, seems like he's in that tweener status of, you know, is he going to be um, – uh, number one or two hitter, uh, you know, a top of the order, like leadoff type guy. Is he going to be a middle of the order hitter? I think that's going to depend on uh, where, you know, how his power develops. Uh, but, you know, he, he, he's he got all the tools to be a pretty elite level uh, guy and he's making pretty good contact. So um, I think, you know, his development is going to come with, uh, you know, plate discipline, consistent contact, you know, laying off pitches he can't hit, finding out what he can drive. Uh, but physically, his tools uh, are pretty eye-popping. Uh, Jeremiah Jackson had a great, you know, what was it, 23 homers the year before at Orem. Um, I think he led the league in homers. Another really wiry, uh, lanky, tall, athletic strong kid, but he's just so raw and just so young. It's sort of hard to project where he might be. Uh, certainly could move to, you know, as you know, with the Angels, they, they like these multiple position guys. So, you know, he could end up at second base. He could stick at shortstop. Um, and, you know, he, he spent the entire summer uh, at the alternate site, which is good, even though he looked a little overmatched to start with fact that he was there, I think is going to be good to, for his development. Bottom line with a lot of these guys, it's uh, it's hard to tell, you know, without a, ma a minor league season, how much they develop. But uh, uh, I think he's got a lot of upside too. Uh, and you mentioned Jack, how do you pronounce his last name? Kachanowitz? I'm never quite sure, but yeah, he's the guy who might have made the biggest jump uh, in my mind uh, into the top 10 this year. Angels haven't drafted many, you know, high-end high school pitchers. Uh, they made an exception for him uh, a few years ago. Um, and he's a big, athletic, strong kid who's already touching 95 and, and even up as high as 97 with his fastball. And he's got a really high spin rate curve. Uh, so right now, two pretty potential plus pitches. I think if he can develop uh, a changeup as a good third pitch, maybe in a, you know maybe a fourth pitch, we'll see. But physically, he seems to uh, at least have the the tools to be a front of the rotation guy. So uh, and he's a guy for me who uh, I think warrants the excitement. So some interesting guys down there. A lot more hard to. Uh, you know, sort of project uh, uh, at the big league level, but certainly a lot of potential there. It feels like the top four kind of a tier of guys, and then that next group is sort of the high upside, but higher risk guys. I will say Jordan Adams, what impressed me when I saw him when he came up at the end of the year to Inland Empire in 2019 was he wasn't as raw as I've been led to believe. Uh, really quiet takes, really good played discipline, saw the ball well. And, and even during summer camp, I remember watching him facing Hansel Robles, a major league closer. Obviously, Robles did not have a good year, but you're still talking about a big league closer 
basically a guy who hasn't played above a ball. And Adams was working counts and drawing walks. I mean, he really did not chase. He wasn't phased. He, he kept a pretty nice composure at the plate. And I thought that was impressive. Um, the flip side was whenever he swings, it just, it's a lot of weak contact, a lot of ground balls to third base. When, like a swing never looked comfortable. So we saw the ball well, but the swing needed work. You reported he showed growth on that front, hit five home runs at the alternate site. And there is raw power there. I saw him hitting some tanks and BP. So I think that's going to be one of the more interesting things to me to watch is you know, sometimes these dual sport guys, they're just labeled super raw and you associate that with swing and missing a lot, but big power they connect. It's like, no, this guy actually controls the strike zone pretty well and looks pretty comfortable and confident up there. It's just ironing out some kinks in the swing. And if he can do that, the Angels might have something. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see which one of these kids pushes Mike Trout off center field the way Mike Trout pushed Tory Hunter, Hunter off center field years ago. You know, it's going to happen one of these years, and, and I don't know who it's going to happen with, but to me, uh, Brandon Marsh and Jordan Adams are two guys uh, who have the potential to do it. Yeah, I think with Jordan, I think that was sort of his uh, – the report on him even after right after they drafted him, uh, as athletic and toolsy as he is, he did have a, a very – he's always had a mature feel for the strike zone and this ability to sort of lay off uh, those pitches so many kids chase at. So, uh, you know, that bodes well. Uh, yeah, but once again, he, he's still, you know, barely touching a ball. Uh, how he translates all that – those tools and athleticism, raw power potential into – you know, consistent, solid contact uh, will determine how quickly he rises to the system. Um, but once again, you know, it's better to have guys with, uh, you know, that kind of upside than not. And for many years, uh, the Angels didn't have that many guys with this kind of upside. Mike, you mentioned this top four group, this next three being kind of the second tier, Jemai Jones being someone that you ultimately did put on the top ten. Was this the eight that were surefire top 10 guys? Were nine and 10 more open or were Hector Young and Kyron Paris pretty firmly on here? Yeah, nine, once you get to nine or 10, uh, things kind of bunch up in terms of guys not really separating themselves. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't want to like downgrade our rankings, but you, you could probably throw anyone nine to 15 uh, in any kind of order there. One guy who I may have, I might have, uh, I could have put him a little higher uh, is Eric Rivera. Um, he's a guy I'm hearing a lot of good things about. Uh, he, he was drafted as a two-sport guy, a left-hander who's already hit 95. Uh, and it shows pretty good, you know, consistent contact and some pop. I think he still has more upside, uh, although he's still so young. He's has more upside as a pitcher at this point, but, you know, a left-hander who's throwing 95 at what? He's uh, 19. Uh, I think he turns 19 or 20 uh, in February. I mean, you know, those kids, <laughs> those kids are hard to come by. So uh, keep an eye out on him. Um, uh, but really, yeah, in that grouping, there's not a lot of whole, whole lot of separation. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. You know, maybe it's a positive way. Uh, no one really jumps out at you like, oh, man, he should have been number number eight or nine as opposed to number 15. So but I think in that group, they have some guys, you know, who, who have some potential. 
Yeah, Rivera got some love during instructional league. I highlighted him as one of 10 under the radar players who were doing some good things in Arizona. And again, it's instructional league. It's, it's a month. It's not a full minor league season. You want to temper expectations a little bit, but it was notable how his name kept coming up. And as you mentioned, up to 95 from the left side, two-way player. And, you know, Scout thought it was a good swing. He's got some pop. There's no question that universally he's seen as a pitcher moving forward, but maybe he can pull a little bit of what we've seen the Rays do with Brendan McKay and get some DH at-bats here or there or come up as a pinch hitter and, and be a threat. I mean, it's a nice little tool in his toolbox, and it's a testament to his athleticism. So he's certainly a guy to watch. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say this system, it's not terrible, it's not empty, it's not bad. We talked about the top four is actually pretty solid. There's some interesting guys, five to seven, and eight to 15. My Jones did some good things, moved in the right direction. So there is some talent here, but it's also fair to say it's not the deepest group. As soon as you get your BA prospect handbook, it, it does fall off quite a bit once you get into the mid-teens. I think the main question is, is there enough in this system to supplement the Angels big league roster and make them a playoff team because it feels like based on our discussion in the intro and just what you and I know about this organization that as much as there are nice players here they're going to need more yeah the uh the Angels have made a real point of drafting really athletic middle of the field guys you know look at how many center fielders uh, Joe Adele remember was a center fielder Brandon Marsh Jordan Adams uh, all the middle infielders, you know, Kyrene Paris, uh, Errol Vera, uh, Jeremiah Jackson, they're, they're drafting up the middle, which, you know, you understand that's where your better athletes tend to be in high school. Uh, but what they really lack in this system right now is power hitting corner infielders and catchers. And they're going to have to parlay some of the prospects they have and, and hope that some of these middle of the field prospects develop into really good pro- players to get those kind of players. Now, you, know, you mentioned Jared Walsh right from the top. What he's done, uh, what he did last September was great. I mean, isn't, to have a guy draft in the 30th round, you know, maybe develop into your starting first baseman would be huge. But to me, he doesn't have the track record yet. Uh, they're okay at third with uh, Anthony Rendon for a while, but it'd be nice to have some corner uh, infielders who you could look at and say, you know, you know, they had CJ Krohn years ago, uh, you know, Mark Trumbo and then Pujols came and pretty much blocked any first baseman for years. And Rendon's going to do the same with third baseman, but you need these guys for at some point. One of these decades, the Angels are going to have to draft a catcher who might be able to reach the big leagues because uh, those are hard to find unless you're willing to go out and spend uh, for a free agent. You know, you got to develop these guys. They're too long gone with stop caps behind the plate one-year, you know, 33-year-old major league veterans. Uh, those, I mean, I don't want to diminish their value. You know, a guy like Jason Castro uh, uh, has the potential to be a solid guy, but these are not long-term solutions to a position where, if you look at the Angels in their heyday, they had Benji Molina back there. They had Jeff Mathis and Mike Napoli back there. There was consistency in uh, the game calling, the approach, the game management uh, for these pitching staffs. And, you know, at least with Napoli and, and Benji Molina, you could argue some pretty good production at the plate. So uh, to me, those are the really weak positions and, you know, on top of starting pitching. So uh, they're going to have to, they're going to have to trade 
you know, trade some of these guys to fill needs at the big league on the big league roster pretty soon. Yeah, the Angels have had five different starting catchers in the last six opening days. So there's no question some consistency, <laughs> and, and there is not a catcher really in the system right now. I mean, there's certainly room to improve in the system. Again, there are good players here, but to end this drought of, I don't even want to just say playoff list seasons, but losing seasons. This is five straight losing One of them seasons. 500 season, or are they all losing? No, they were all losing seasons. Yeah. 74 and 88, 88, 82, 82, 82, 72, 96-34. The Angels have not had five straight losing seasons since 1973 to 1977. Yeah, and you know, I... I'm no longer the beat guy, but, uh, you know, for a good chunk of that time, the first decade of the century, they, they won a World Series, went to the playoffs uh, four or five other times, won, uh, what, five division titles, went to the ALCS two more times. So they set a standard back then that, uh, you know, probably hard to match for any team, but it wasn't that long ago, you know. They're under the same ownership. It's just been you know, like social left, general manager's uh, seat has changed over far too many times probably uh, and too many, you know, new philosophies and changing philosophies and too much turnover. But there's hope. There's some hope. They're not that far off. Uh, they still do have the best player in baseball. Uh, I'm not sure. You know, they did go after Garrett Cole pretty aggressively last year. They've gone after some free agent pitchers impact guys and fallen short. But to me, you know, you have to get a guy like Trevor Bauer. You have to get one of these winners. Uh, they're going to have to get the best free agent pitcher who's available. Because really they haven't been able to, you know, C.J. Wilson might be the last, you know, quote unquote, big money free agent pitcher they've signed. And he wasn't all that great. So uh, that's where they need uh, to put their resources, uh, whether that's from drafting and developing or financial resources. Uh, but if they can bolster that rotation with one or two studs and, you know, get a back of the bullpen guy or two, they're not that far off because they, they should have the offense. Uh, they should have all the, you know, the run producing potential that a team needs to at least make the playoffs. We'll see if they're able to make those additions. Mike, in the meantime, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your insight as always. All right. Always a pleasure, Kyle. Take care. All right, everyone. That'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Mike DiGiovanna, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.